0: You're listening to Reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Antidepressants, mood stabilizers, sedatives. Over the course of a year, millions of adults and children under the age of 18 in America take at least one of these psychiatric drugs. And for those who might experience troubling side effects along the way, more pills can be introduced in an effort to fix the problem. But are some patients being over-prescribed medication? And could long-term use of these drugs be worsening their mental health? With us now is Lynn Cunningham, co-director and co-producer of Medicating Normal, a new documentary airing nationally on PBS. It explores how we promote the use of psychiatric medication and how we treat mental illness in our society. Hi, Lynn. Welcome to Reset. And Angela Peacock is a mental health advocate and decorated former army sergeant who's featured in the film. Great to have you on the program, Angie. Thank you so much for having us. Angie, I'll start with you. Tell us more about when you were prescribed psychiatric drugs and what your medication journey looked like.
1: Well, I was a U.S. Army Sergeant. I deployed to Iraq at the beginning of the war. Um, I underwent a whole lot of trauma. Um, And then when I came home, the first thing offered was a prescription. And, you know, I was just told this, this will make you feel better, get back to work, you know, not really don't pay attention to the trauma that just kind of occurred. Um, and, and one medication turned into two, into three, into four. And then I found myself on a cocktail of 18 in 2006. Mm. And I was so profoundly disabled by that. Um, I can't even, words can't even express it. But um over the course of the next 13 years, I, you know, did everything my doctors told me to do. I tried all kinds of therapies. I just wasn't getting better. And there was something inside of me that was just thinking, you know, maybe it's the medication or maybe I'm on too much. Let me just take a little bit less. And under a doctor's supervision, I slowly tapered off, you know, using a harm reduction approach. And then I experienced withdrawal syndrome, which I had never heard of. I had no idea that it existed. And that's kind of where the movie starts up. They followed me while I was, um, Coming off psychiatric drugs and looking for other options to help.
0: Wow. So, how much information were you given, Angie, about the medication and the side effects that could come from taking them? Um, well,
1: very little. And in fact, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's in social work. Mm-hmm. And we don't really, we don't even talk about, you know, what side effects look like if you experience suicidal thoughts on a drug. Usually it's okay, you really are mentally ill, and here's another drug to combat the suicidal thoughts, not that the black box warning on the drug could be, in fact, inf- affecting you, and, and maybe we should come off. So, I mean, I knew a little bit about, like, addiction, and so I always looked for, okay, well, I'm not, like, running out early. I'm not playing them on the street. I'm not, you know, I don't have consequences. I'm not feeling euphoria from the medications I'm taking, so therefore I'm not addicted. But there is this uh, chem, uh, what is it called, physiological dependence that occurs, that my brain changed because of the presence of the drug. So then when I decided to come off, even though it was a very small dose, I still experienced what they call withdrawal. But it's really, you know, your body doesn't just readjust after long-term use. It, It goes through a period of looking for homeostasis. And it's really scary and hard and very misunderstood and really not understood or taken up by the medical community at this point.
0: Wow. Lynn, I, I want to bring you in here. How did you come across Angie's story and when did you realize her story was part of a broader trend? Well, um, we uh, the, the film was inspired uh,
2: because I'm a family member of, of, of a, a beloved relative who um, had been put on many of these drugs right after graduating from college. And um, you know our family completely I want, I understood the rationale. Understood what the doctors felt. We understood completely that she had a chemical imbalance. And um, in her twenties, she was on um, she started on one drug, but in ten years, it became ten drugs. So the 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 conundrum and the bewildering thing is why why did she have to be on so many so many drugs, right. and so that is what really inspired the film, and uh, we started out by reading Anatomy of an Epidemic by Robert Whitaker, who um, meticulously resources many of the, of the studies and trials out there, and um, we started to interview people ourselves like Angie, hundreds of them across the country, um, and a pattern began emerging that was very, very similar to
0: Angie's. Um, where you realized that the drugs were the issue
2: we realized the drugs were the issue and these there were um, there are many many support groups on the internet for people who are experiencing adverse effects on on these drug each drug has one almost and you can find them and um, they, they are filled with so many people who almost know more about the issue like Angie did. Angie became extremely well-educated on what was happening to her by the time we met her. Um, so there's just a whole subculture of people out there who are mm-hmm. grappling with this, and we tapped into that, and, it, and that's sort of how we found
0: Angie. Um, well, a- Angie, you began to talk about that tapering process that eventually— got you off the meds can you describe that in more detail for us how does that work
1: yeah yeah at the beginning it was kind of haphazard you know the doctor said you know just take half of it for a week then a half of that for another week and then you're off on the third week and I found out quickly first of all that's not evidence-based there's no evidence to say that that actually helps people or that it's you know that it works it's just kind of a I, I feel like it's a strategy they they kind of borrow from the opiate um yeah And Angie,
0: when you you say half, you you mean you're literally cutting pills, right? Yes, like you just chop it in half with a
1: pill cutter. So I found out pretty quickly that's like way too fast for me. So I'll just give you an example. I tried to taper off Cymbalta um, the way that my doctor said. He said, skip a day and then take one the next day. And then I ended up in the emergency room because I felt like my breathing was not in sync with my heartbeat. And it was the scariest. I thought I was going to die. So then I, I discovered this this uh, strategy where you open the capsule, you count out all the beads total in your uh, capsule, and then you take out, you know, five. So for me, it was 300 of these little tiny beads inside of one capsule of Cymbalta, and so I had to take out five for, like, two weeks until I, until I was, like, confident, and then I would take out five more. And it basically took me two and a half years to get off Cymbalta, counting these tiny beads inside of wow. um, the pe- – and, and I'm not alone in this. There's like thousands of patients right now I could show you in the Cymbalta support groups that have to do the same thing because for whatever reason, our body's adapted to the presence of the drug and coming off you know, overnight is not going to happen. So we just have to go slow and be measured and be careful and listen to our bodies
0: above all else. Yeah. Well, when you look back on your experience, Angie, what do you wish was done differently?
1: I really wish I had more support. You know, my doctors didn't believe the experience of the withdrawal that I was feeling. I still, six years later, have some vestibular issues and visual issues that I never had before. it's just not believed. I have very little support. You know, the, the, the tricky part is I look fine. I'm educated. I look fine. I sound fine. But my, body, chem- my b- body and brain chemistry is not normal. It's not back to the way it was before I started taking the medication. So I just wish there was more support out there and understanding in the medical community.
0: And Lynn, what do you hope that folks will take away not just from Angie's story but from the film overall?
2: My hope is that uh, that people learn more about what they put into their body. They they ask the right questions. When you go to to a psychiatrist, you need to to ask certain questions. Like, what is the exit plan for this medication? Is it your intention that I am going to be on this forever? Um, if not, how um, is it easy or hard to get off of? If it's really hard, what is the plan? And and if your doctor doesn't engage in that kind of, um, question and answer and listening to you, then they're not the right doctor. Um, so we want people to just begin to be educated about this issue. And, um, many, many people out there, Angie included, felt unlistened to by their doctors. And, uh, Ivan, our wonder who's a pharmacist in the film, um, Gives every. It didn't make it into the film, but one of his pieces of advice is when you're put on a powerful medication, keep a journal. Write down, on day five, I felt this way. On day six, I felt this way. I ate this. And then when you go back to your doctor, you not only have your own idea of what has been happening to you, you have it written down in a journal. Yeah. So um, these, all these things are important. But informed consent, knowing the pros and cons of what you're about to get into, I think is the most
0: important. Such an interesting film. We've been speaking with Angela Peacock, a mental health advocate and decorated former Army sergeant, and Lynn Cunningham, co director and co producer of Medicating Normal. It's a documentary airing nationally on PBS. It's also available for streaming on the PBS app and on medicatingnormal.com. Thank you, Angela and Lynn. Let's turn now to one of the experts who are featured in that film. Dr. Anna Lemke is a psychiatrist and professor. At Stanford University and she joins us now. Hi, Dr. Lemke. Great to have you.
3: Hi there. Yeah, thanks for having me. So you've been listening
0: along. I want you to give us a sense of when and how psychiatric drugs became a part of the treatment plan for mental health issues.
3: Well, I mean, psychiatric drugs really um, came to the fore in the mid 1900s with some of the earliest uh, medications that were found serendipitously, meaning that they were just sort of accidentally discovered, given for one uh, indication, and then discovered to help with various, um, you know, psychiatric symptoms like psychosis or extreme moods. And then since then, there's just been an explosion in the numbers and types of what we call psychotropic medications, medications that... Um, affect the brain and target psychiatric illnesses um, and all the way to the present day where, um, you know, one in four adults uh, takes some type of, one in four uh, U- U.S. adults take some type of psychotropic medication and one in 20 ch- children uh, takes a psychotropic medication. In
0: the film, you talked about the onus on the doctor to get rid of all the patient's
3: pain and suffering. Yeah, so this has been a big cultural shift in the past... 50 to 75 years, or maybe even longer, especially in the United States. This idea that any kind of uh, suffering is bad, that it sets us up for future suffering in the, far, in the form of uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, which is, you know, fundamentally a very modern concept. You know, 150, 200 years ago, people actually believed that some kind of uh, spiritual, psychic suffering, even physical suffering, was good for people, that it um, made them stronger, more resilient. Today, we really don't have those notions of suffering. We, we have this idea that suffering uh, is not only painful in the moment, but again, kind of breaks us rather than makes it, making us more resilient. And so it has become the purview of the medical doctor to take away pain in all its forms, um, lest they be accused of not doing their job.
0: Yeah. Well, what do research and studies show about how effective these
3: drugs are? I mean the you know the FDA trials to get uh, the approval for almost any drug just uh, aren't, it's not a very high bar, frankly. You know, the, the drug has to be um, a little bit better than placebo, and it has to be deemed to, to be safe. Um, and so, you know, these these medications on a short-term basis uh, do meet that threshold. They are a little bit better than a sugar pill. But, um, you know, there's it's not like they're not like miracle drugs. They don't entirely take away people's symptoms. Also, the studies are largely short-term studies. So they don't tend to be longer than about 12 weeks, and yet the way we prescribe them is much longer than that you know, on the order of, of decades in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that's become very common practice in psychiatry is polypharmacy, so combining a bunch of different drugs together in one person, and there's you know, very little data um, looking at drugs, the drugs used in that way, um, combining them, and, and also a growing uh, evidence base for the risks of polypharmacy, uh, meaning that the more drugs a person takes, um, even if prescribed by a doctor for a bona fide uh, medical condition, uh, you know, the, the, the greater the potential of, of, of harm, including uh, the risk of accidental overdose.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, what role do the pharmaceutical companies play here?
3: Obviously, the pharmaceutical companies aggressively promote their products, and you know that's um, that's what. You know, is is normal and expected, and nothing wrong with that in our capitalist society, where the pharmaceutical companies go astray is when they uh, mislead the consumers or the prescribers or the pharmacists or whoever their uh, their target audience is. If they um, um, you know promote misleading or false messages about the products, um, then then you know they've they've gone outside the bounds of of, of what's acceptable. They, essentially, they're they've engaged in a, you know a form of of uh of fraud
0: we learn an alarming statistic in the film dr lemke that seven million children under the age of 18 take prescribed psychiatric drugs every day what does that mean for their future
3: well you know it's hard to generalize um you know there are uh let me just say It's important to acknowledge that that these medications can be life-saving tools, that there are people who benefit from them far more than they're harmed, Um, and there are people, including children, for whom these medications, uh, you know, have saved their lives and and without which um, they would be experiencing terrible suffering and and maybe not even, you know, be here. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, it's also very clear that the trend – Um, toward over-prescribing is is prevalent in our society and that people are receiving psychotropic medications as a first-line intervention when really it should be the last-line intervention. What should be first is... um, behavioral interventions, um, psychological interventions, sociological interventions, um, ways that we shore up our communities, our families, um, rather than just you know throwing medications at what are actually uh, social problems.
0: We talked earlier with Angie about her experience with tapering off her medication. What's the safest way to do that doctor and are there risks involved?
3: Um, This is a tricky one because the majority of people who take a psychotropic medication for even very long periods of time will not have any trouble getting off of them. But there is a subset of patients who, for reasons we don't fully understand, will develop this kind of uh, physiologic dependence on the drug such that it becomes very difficult to get off. And let me just say that there's no correlation with addiction um, um, among that population. I've seen lots of patients who have no history at all of addiction, who um, have a terrible time getting off of psychotropic medications. We don't have a a lot of data on how to taper, meaning how fast or how big to make the jumps. But what we do know, and I know this from clinical experience, um, and there's obviously a growing grassroots movement among patients who are communicating this, that there is a subset of patients for whom it is essential to go very, very slowly. Um, and that's you know that includes medications like opioids, which we know form a strong physical dependence, or benzodiazepines like Xanax, mm-hmm. which form a strong physical dependence. But it also includes some mood stabilizers, some antidepressants, medications that we don't typically think of as forming a strong physical dependence, and yet which in some individuals really does. And those individuals, we need to go down very, very slowly. Sometimes it can take months to years to get those patients off of those medications, Um, and it relies on a certain amount of resilient neuroplasticity to be able to adjust to the absence of the medication. So it's really still the Wild West, honestly. We don't have enough research. We don't have enough data. But what we need to know as a medical community and also for patient consumers is that You know, if you're in that subset of people who's struggling to get off, um, just taper down very, very slowly and you need emotional support and other coping skills um, as you do it.
0: Well, given all that we've discussed, Dr. Lemke, what place would you say psychiatric drugs have in the medical world?
3: Psychiatric drugs are an absolutely vital tool. I'm grateful every day that I can turn to them, but they are currently often overprescribed, and patients are not given sufficient informed consent prior to prescribing. So we do have to reeducate the medical community and patient consumers so that patients can get fair, informed consent about the true risks, benefits, and alternatives so that if they do agree to take a medication to try to target their symptoms, they recognize that there are some serious potential harms.
0: That is Dr. Anna Lemke, psychiatrist and professor at Stanford University. Doctor, thank you so much for joining. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.